Good afternoon. Today is the eighth day of Tevet 5783, corresponding to Sunday, January 1st, 2023. We are in chapter eight of the Tanya, looking at both yesterday's and today's reading. Chapter eight deals with two subject matters. The first one is the consumption of forbidden food and the consumption of permissible food in relationship to whether or not it's our actions that are primary or the thoughts that we have regarding why we're eating that are primary. And the second issue that we will look at has to do with speech, right? We've been speaking a lot about thought and action. We haven't dealt with the question of what's called idle chatter versus meaningful talk or meaningful discussion or study. And that'll be part two. So part one deals with the question of consumption of food, which we've been looking at previously. But here, he begins with a discussion about the forbidden food. So something that's not allowed to be eaten. It's not kosher. It's of a certain category that only certain people allowed to eat. It's considered asur. It's considered forbidden or somehow bound to something. And what that something is, is this klipa, this negative side this has shell so let's say you eat something not allowed but <clears throat> your mindset and your purpose is to do it so that you'll have the energy to connect to god to worship to be more spiritually in tune, attuned at the moment how does this work does it work does it not work so the altar rebbe suggests for that particular element that even if you had the right intention and everything else is perfect, the act of eating that forbidden food would remain and would remain within and would leave a taint. Meaning it wouldn't matter the result, the thought, the mindfulness of what you're doing. What matters is the action itself, which is a little bit slight a little bit of a slightly different take on some of the ideas that we saw before, where seemingly thought was more prevalent than action. Here he's taking the opposite approach, that action is more important than thought. Now, let's go the other way for a moment. What if I eat something permissible, and yet I do it just for the purposes of satisfying my craving? What happens with that food? It's kosher, it's allowed, it's not a problem. And again, this is where he'll point out that it has the ability to be brought back to holiness, to come back to this more spiritually positive side. But yet in order to do that, one has to go through certain deeper processes. And a lot of that is only subsequent to death. It's when the soul is reincorporated with the divine. But before we get there, I want to point out something in this chapter that comes up over and over again. As we've seen in other chapters, he makes the dichotomy between a Jewish soul and a non-Jewish soul, or a Jewish thing and a non-Jewish thing, or here we have a, the, a negative inclination or the inclination towards desire that is called a foreign demon, and then we have the side that is the non-foreign demon or the Jewish demon, if you will. Right, So we have a, a foreign evil impulse and a Jewish evil impulse. I think one of the things that we're starting to see in the Alter Rebbe's work, 
an area that's very contentious, but also I think clearly fits into his world view and clearly sets up a paradigm is there's a one side and another side, and that plays itself out in all different elements. But the language that he uses is language that people are going to know. If I have, if I think that the Jewish side, the particular side, the Jewish side is going to be the good side, anything that's not of the Jewish side is going to be of the bad side. There, so again, there seems to be this lack of neutrality. This doesn't mean it's the best par- paradigm to be establishing, but you can see the consistency playing itself out again and again. The good and the bad, the Jewish and the non-Jewish, over and over again. We struggle with that today, those definitions. But keep in mind, in the 18th, 19th century, this kind of setup was much more prevalent and common, or at least, I don't want to justify it, but at least it wasn't seen in the same shocking light that you might find it today. That's number one. The other point I want to bring out here, before we go on into our discussion, just very briefly, is he presents another principle in this chapter that's a general principle in Jewish thought, is that sometimes the rabbinic laws are actually more stringent than the biblical law. And so if the rabbis were to have forbidden a certain type of food that the Torah theoretically would have permitted, if we consume the rabbinically sanctioned, um, sorry, prohibited food, we are partaking the same way, whether if it was biblical, if it was biblically forbidden as well. It has, it doesn't have less of a status. In fact, if anything, it's even more of a stringent status than the biblical one. That's a much broader debate about the difference between the Torah commands and then the established um, parameters put into place by the subsequent generations of the rabbis and the, of the Mishnah and the Talmud and so on. So going back to our theme here, if we consume non-kosher food, even if we do it for the right reasons, it leaves a taint. It doesn't, it can't be brought, the food itself can't be elevated if we consume kosher food in a manner that is purely for our body, but um, and without the desire for spiritual growth, there is still room to revert that f- m- that mindlessness into some sort of mindfulness, or if you will, raise those sparks back up from this unholy action to something more holy or spiritual. Now, how do we do that? I mentioned before it has to do with the time of death, so he presents to us a couple of concepts. One is called the purgatory of the grave, some sort of death-like cleansing to the body that helps remove any of these iotas of impurity that have been accumulated over a lifetime. That's one. And he says that this is going to be for everybody. He actually, is, it's interesting. He First he presents it in this particular Ristic mode of the actions of eating, and then he says, "No, in reality, unless you've lived your life without ever de- consuming of this world for your personal desire, you're going to go through this at some point." The exception to the rule is somebody such as the great Mishnaic, uh, the compiler of the Mishnah, Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, Rabbi Judah the Prince, who it's referred to as Rabbeinu Hakadosh in the in the Talmud, and he's also known as the a person who never derived any enjoyment from this world, even a pinky's extent of enjoyment. Otherwise, most of us are going to go through this. And I think it's interesting because unlike the whole Tzadik and Russia, Russia 
discussions from the first chapters of the righteous and the wicked and this intermediate person, I think he's being very clear here that the majority of us might even be including himself in that. We don't know. He would presumably from a place of humility want to include himself in that. We'll have probably derived some personal enjoyment for the world and will therefore probably require this purging at the time of death. So that's about um, action, specifically eating. What about speech? What about this idle chatter? So let's assume for a moment he describes there's, there's, there's different types of talking, right? There's innocent talking. There's things that are not forbidden but may not be the most permissible thing. And then there are things like Lashon Hara, speaking ill of another, which are forbidden forms of speech. And of course, there's Torah study, which as we've seen, Torah study is not a thought approach. It's actually speech. We're supposed to speak it out. So if a person partakes in idle chatter, in this innocent form of idle chatter, which again, like the kosher food that we consume for our personal desires, it will leave a taint but can be brought back up. There's a way to cleanse the soul there too. And that's with something called kaf hakele, or in English, the hollow of a sling, being like, if you will, shot from one end to the world to the other, like the soul just gets bounced back like a pinball until all of the negative vibes, the negative pieces that came from the speech get lost in the shuffle get, get, or get disintegrated in that process. I do not fully understand this term other than what I described. So for those that are more attuned to these discussions of post-death life, you will be able to explain that, explain that to people who the people here who are listening. For the rest of you, I think it's a good basic explanation. It's like imagine like, like being ra- a racket hitting you back and forth. So, if we speak positive, uh, positive but idle speech, if we speak things like lishon hara, like negative, slanderous speech, it's like the forbidden fruit that we ate. No matter, if, even if it's done for a higher purpose, cannot remove it until the time of death. And it could be that there will be situations that are even more severe. So let's say a person could have engaged in the study of Torah. They were capable of doing so. Not somebody who is what was referred to as an Amha Aretz. The English is never a good translation. They translate as an ignorant person. But it's a person who doesn't have the skill base to really grapple. In that world was a lot of people who couldn't read. I think in our world today, that, that term has to change a little bit. But either which way... If a person has the capability of studying Torah and then they and they waste that ability through other means, idle chatter, and we're going to get to in a moment the study of other intellectual pursuits. Um, Kafakela, this this being slung back and forth is not enough. It will actually require another kind of purgatory, which many of the people listening would be much more familiar with the term Gehinom or um, <clears throat> right. Purgatoria, purgatory, etc. Um, he describes multiple systems of this, but in that post-death period, which in Jewish tradition is believed to be no more than one year's worth of time, the soul can be cleansed there, depending on what kind of sin will depend on what kind of gehinom the person will go. So you know, the phrase like "when hell freezes over" has some legitimacy because there are purgatories of cold, there are purgatories of fire, and each one has certain 
certain souls will find its their way to one versus the other, depending on what the needs are of this cleansing process. So what about studying other pursuits, right? You have the capability, and it's not you're not wasting your time in idle chatter. You're studying wisdoms of the world. It's just as bad, if not worse. One should not do this, according to his description. We have to be very careful, right? One occupies oneself with the intellectual disciplines of the nations of the world is likewise included in the category of engaging in idle chatter and neglecting Torah study. It's just as bad. How, um, and actually maybe even worse than idle speech, because while idle speech is only a, a speaking thing, the study of intellectual pursuits actually is partly the mind as well. And so it is actually affecting how our thought patterns are. There is one exception. And I remember years ago having this argument with a Chabad rabbi I knew very, that I know very well. Um, the exception is if you're studying for the sake of making a living, uh, working in the world, understanding the world, and even using some of these things to help better enhance our understanding of the Torah. So what you're noticing, of course, is there's this, they saying, don't study other things unless it helps. And one could argue that a lot of the material there is very helpful. And of course, you could argue that there are certain areas of intellectual pursuit that are purely not. I will leave that to the listener to determine what that is for yourself. For the Alter Rebbe, he would tell you, again, like a lot of the other categories, only for the special individuals, like Rambam, Maimonides, Ramban, Nachmanides. These are people who can, who can do this and integrate it in a way that most people cannot. So most people should not be engaged in this. Exceptions apply. So this chapter, just to summarize quickly, has shown us, actually it's interesting, it presents us three people who are unique to the paradigm, who are the special people, these rarely found individuals who overcome. And I would argue that as the author of writing this book for his followers, these Benonim, I think he's trying to, again, give them a place to understand, hey, you don't have to be, you don't, you, you probably will not be this person, this person, this person, we are all going to be in the same boat. So fear not, this is what's going to happen, but know that this is what's going to happen to most and you have to strive for, to be the best you can. And the better you do, the less suffering there will be, ultimately. And so as we pursue this idea today, understand two things. One, be careful with our actions. Actions for the purposes of spiritual growth, but not the right actions might be problematic. Actions that are the right actions, but not for the purpose of spiritual growth are problematic. Whether it's the what we eat, what we do, what we say, and how we pursue our intellectual growth as well. One has to be very mindful and careful. I think if we think about it from a spiritual point of view, right, the general spirituality point of view, we can see that path, not all pathways are going to lead us to good end results. And as we're investigating for ourselves where we are going in life, we have to take into account, is this, the, is this action for me, for something greater? And even if it's something greater, is this the right action for me to take in order to get there? Right? So I shouldn't step on somebody else's toes for my own betterment, for example. That's a great thought to have. I don't have to 
I, I, I have the right intention. I want to make the world better. But the way I go about it is all wrong. Right? So if I eat a forbidden food for the sake of being able to have the strength to pray, it's all wrong. Even if it's the result is what I want to get to, the process will leave a negative vibe within the goal and the action we take. So with that, I want to leave us with chapter 8 on those points, and we will continue tomorrow with our next discussion beginning of chapter 9.